All right, we are live. What's going on, everybody? Uh, welcome to the Grabs Podcast. If you're listening to this, you probably already know what we do here. But in case you stumbled in here, this is your first one you're hearing. Our goal here is simple. It's just to highlight our wins and learn as much as we can from actual fire ground rescues in the hopes of making us all a little bit more effective and more efficient. Our guest tonight is Dave Werner, who I can personally verify is a legit badass. Uh, so Dave, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your journey, your experience, and your department? Yeah. Uh, evening, folks. Hi, Nick. Um, so I've been with DFD here up in Duluth for just over three years. Uh, prior to that, I was full-time down in South Carolina in the uh, in the Greenbelt region, the upstate region. Um, before we headed down south, I, I had graduated from Lake Spirit College here in Duluth with a, a fire science degree. Um, yeah, just living life up in Duluth. Perfect. So Duluth, Minnesota, for all those guys listening. I know there's a couple yeah, other Duluths not, not out Georgia. there. Yeah, no. right. All right. So at DFD, what does your first alarm assignment consist of for a single family dwelling fire? First alarm assignment uh, for a single family dwelling is going to get you two engines, two trucks, um, a rescue, and a chief. And how about your staffing on all those rigs? Um, our staffing is very slightly across the board. Um, all of our trucks are four. Um, most of our engines are four. We do have two engines that run with three and we have another engine that runs with only two. Um, on the rescue, we have three. Okay. So on a typical first alarm for single family, how many guys and girls do we bring into that scene? Let's see. It'll be, well, on average, um, let's see, eight, 12, 15, 16 with the chief. Okay. Perfect. Now this one's a little bit more nebulous, but what's like the search culture within your department? Uh, who typically searches? How do you prioritize search? Is, is, are you guys, you know, sometimes this is a, a four letter word, but are you guys kind of aggressive when it comes to search? I, I would say that we probably lean more towards the aggressive <clears throat> side of things. Um, we definitely prioritize search. Um, you know, we went so far as being able to implement VES as a recognized tactic. Um, shortly after I got hired. So um, search is definitely on the forefront of people's minds when we show up. Um, as far as responsibilities, typically the rescue is going to be getting inside as quickly as possible to initiate that search. Um, and that will usually then be supplemented by uh, two to three people from, uh, from a truck company. We're pretty good for the most part about splitting our truck crews, uh, two and two or three and one, depending on the situation. Mm -hmm. um, so usually, you know, at the bare minimum, right off the bat, we should have four um, who are focused primarily on the search. So does Duluth have more than one rescue or is it typically the same guys uh, searching all these structures? It, we do just have the one rescue. Um, and yeah, it's just known that those guys are gonna get in there and, and get after it, unless something like VES is warranted right off the bat. Sure. Um, but typically they're, they're going to be heading in and trying to get towards, uh, towards the fire as quickly as possible to search outwards from there is how we typically see them operate. Okay. Um, so I want to backtrack a couple of years now. Can you tell us a little bit about the rescue that you made? Uh, do you know what time of year it was? Uh, what time of day it was at? What was it dispatched as? Any reports of victims? Uh, and kind of run through everything from, from dispatch on. Yeah, so it was uh, it was actually my first fire with uh, with Duluth. It was a little bit over a month after I after I'd been hired. So it was February fourteenth of two thousand seventeen. Um, 
4516 Cook Street, which is kind of in the far, it's in the far eastern uh, edge of our territory. Um, so it was a little bit of a drive. So I was riding, uh, I was riding one engine that night out of downtown, out of headquarters. Uh, call came in at, I think it was right at midnight um, for a report of a structure fire. There, there weren't, uh, they didn't necessarily come out and say entrapment. Um, if I remember right, the way it came out was that neighbors reported the, the homeowner's vehicle was there and they typically worked nights. So it was, that was kind of our tip off that we made that potentially we're looking at somebody inside this house, um, based on that vehicle report. Um, so yeah, coming from downtown, we had a little bit of a drive heading out East. Um, yeah, we, we got out there and so that the initial, engine on scene which would have been six engine uh it's pretty much right in their backyard so they were there quick and we're starting to make a push from the alpha side through the front door uh we pulled up caught a hydrant and proceeded into the alleyway to head to the charlie side um four four person rig that i was on one engine is four people so we left one at the hydrant and the captain and i got off and he right away requested a two and a half um to the front door. So I, I aided him in stretching the two and a half uh, pre-connect from the, from the alley through, uh, through the backyard up to the front. The captain wanted to try to get hit on this fire as fast as possible. Um, Cause it was at that point the, the fire was winning. Um, as he started making that two and a half hit, he told me to meet him at the back door with an inch and three quarter pre-connect. So I made my way back to the engine and got that, uh, got that second line to the back door uh, at this point, the captain rejoined me, and uh, I, I was already masked up, anticipating we were heading in. And because he wasn't masked up yet, he handed me the camera and said, why don't you take a look? So I, I raised the camera and peered in the back door there, and literally as clear as I'm looking at you right now, that was the image of the of the victim. And it, it for a minute, I was stunned. Cause I was like, there's no way, there's no stinking way that we just popped open this back door and this person is right there. And so for a minute I dropped the camera and brought my box light up and it's, you know, it was, he was right there. So, um, we were able to, I, I told my captain, I said, we got him. He's right here. Um, was able to make my way in. So he was kind of leaning up in, in the crook of the cabinets, um, facing me, his legs were facing me and, so I, I made the initial move to try to get his torso up and towards me, which obviously it doesn't work very well with his legs facing you. So I'm struggling a little bit with this victim. And all of a sudden, uh, I think it was a member of one of the other engine companies coming in, came, came barreling through the house and kind of bowled me over. And for a minute threw me off. But in that mess, we were able to both of us kind of link up together and drag that victim just a few feet out the back door. And, uh, uh, and into the into the backyard. Okay, so it sounds like Charlie's side, and I heard cabinets in there. So is it safe to assume that this is a kitchen that he was in? Yeah, correct. Okay, what were the the conditions like in that kitchen once you opened the door? Obviously, down at, at level at uh, at like the one foot level, you could see at least uh, far enough to the victim. What yeah. were conditions in that room? Was it smoke? Was it fire? It was smoke. It was not. So the fire was in the. Uh, was in the alpha delta corner of the house and this wasn't a very big house but so that we did not have fire conditions uh that far back in the house but it was it was smoke and heat okay was it a one-story house yes yep one okay. story okay perfect 
So how far away was the victim from the actual fire when you guys got there? I would say 20 feet. Okay. So 20 feet away from the fire. And how far away from that back door once you pop that? Feet. Okay. So two, three feet? Yep. And how big was the victim? The victim was not very large. Um, That was one of the things that struck me was it was incredible how difficult it was to maneuver him uh, despite his his smaller size. I would say... Yeah, I would say he might not have been over 200 pounds. Okay. And just for a little bit of context here, uh, I know you personally. So how, how big are you? Obviously, you're in good shape, but how, how big and, and how much do you weigh? 6'3 and right around 210. Okay. Um, so this guy weighed probably less than you, and it yep. took a couple guys. Two guys actually had their hands on the victim total? Yes, there, there was three two of us. Cause my, my captain, once I, I think once he saw that we had the victim, he wasn't going to crowd the situation. So as we got him out the door there. Okay. And do you actually remember uh, like physically what you did to the patient? Were you at the legs? Did you use an arm lock, a wrist lock, a leg lock? Like how physically did you remove that, that person? I think once we, <clears throat> like I said, initially I was trying to, I think just going back to any time I'd moved a training dummy prior to this, I was thinking I have to, I have to go for the torso mm-hmm. and, so I was trying to reach across his legs and grab his torso and pull his torso towards me, um, which just, it wasn't working. He doesn't, you know, wasn't bending like that. And I was kind of working against myself. And once I got bowled over by that other person and we kind of regrouped, it's a little bit foggy. I want to say we, we both just kind of ended up grabbing under his shoulder and scooting him out. There wasn't, there wasn't a lot of technique being used at that point. Okay. More, uh, more will over skill at that point. Yeah, we knew we were right there at the door, and it was like, let's just get this guy out. Yeah, I totally get that. Um, you also mentioned that there were no reports of, of victims before you guys got to work. Obviously, the reports that there was a vehicle there, and you guys knew before you got there, at least this is how I'm, how I'm uh, hearing this, you knew before you got there that he typically works nights, and his vehicle was still there. Correct. Um, no reports of victims, though. Um, if Does anything change within your department and with, within you personally when you hear that there's reports of victims or that the reports that everybody's out. Does anything change about your mindset or your operations there? Um, you know, procedure wise, I, I don't think anything necessarily changes. Um, I, I guess for myself, um, you know, being on, being on the truck and typically doing more outside type duties, um, I'm going to be, you know, if we hear something about confirmed victims, you know, going to be chatting with the rest of the crew as to whether we're going to do our two-two split, if we're going to turn this into a three-one split, um, and increase the number of bodies inside, or if we're going to keep the two-two and send two in. And I'm going to be thinking about, you know, setting up for VES um, with with ground ladders or what whatnot. So okay. Um, this one's this one's kind of nebulous as well. But do you guys typically ventilate during search? Do you ventilate after search? And 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 kind of how does ventilation fit in with coordinating both attack and search? I know that's kind of a heavy question. So just kind of take the low hanging fruit there. Yeah. Um. You know, again, being kind of the 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 one who's typically doing a lot of the OV type stuff. Um, if I see an opportunity to take a window that's going to be advantageous to those crews, whether it's search or fire attack. Um, if I feel like it's going to make a difference and not put somebody in a bad spot, I'll, I'll take that window. Um, as far as 
from a vertical vent standpoint, we're pretty aggressive when it comes to getting holes in place when, when it's warranted and when it's going to make a difference. Um, obviously you, you, you could curtail that to what your engine crews are doing. Um, you know, we obviously, we work pretty tight downtown here with one engine and, you know, if we're rolling into something with one engine, we know that those guys are going to be doing good work and making, making good moves. And it, it allows us to move, you know, a little bit quicker with getting those vents established. Um, but yeah, so I, I think, you know, we, we do try to open things up as warranted and, you know, when it's going to make things better for not only our crews, but the, you know, anybody inside. Okay. So this was your first day on with DFD, first day online, at least. This was your first fire with them. What was going through your head when you heard working fire? Obviously, you've been doing this for a while. This is nothing new to you. But had you already had conversations with your officer about, hey, here's what I'm going to tell you on the way there. This is the tools that I want you to have. This is what I expect from you. Had you had that conversation with your officer? Had it not had that not taken place at that point in time? No, and, and uh, just to clarify, so I, I had, it was my first fire, but I, I started January 9th. So this was, this was a little over a month. Um, gotcha. Okay. And yeah, so okay. yeah, it wasn't the first day. That would have been, that would have been even more epic, but. Yeah, um, right. That would have been the perfect story. <laughs> um, so no, we had, we had chatted about that stuff. Um, you know, one of the biggest things being who's going to, who's going to grab the hydrant and who's going to be with the captain on the nozzle. Um, and I, I think myself and the other tailboarder got a little bit thrown. I was riding with, uh, one of the more senior tailboarders we've got and we pulled up and the captain actually told him to get off and grab the hydrant, um, which typically that, that would have been flipped. I would have been the one at the plug and, and, uh, Lee would have been going in with the captain. So, okay. um, that was a little bit different than, than what we, what had been discussed, but it wasn't, I mean, obviously you just you know, if he's at the plug, I'm, I'm going in with the captain. So there wasn't a whole lot of figuring out to do at that point. Okay. How about what's one lesson that you learned from this or, or, or as many lessons as you want, but what are either one lesson or multiple lessons that you learned from this fire that you'd like to pass on to all the listeners? Uh, this was my first fire, uh, with, with a victim inside. Um, and the first time I, I, you know, come upon somebody in a fire and like debriefing myself afterwards, you know, we always talk about expecting fire and, mm -hmm. um, you know, being ready for fire and not, not being caught off guard when we encounter fire. And what drove me, what, what drove home for me on this one was not just the expecting fire part, but expecting victims. Um, it was a total mindset change for me because you just, you know, you go to fires and, I, you know, depending on where you're at, a lot of times the fires, there's, there, there aren't, you don't end up encountering victims inside the fires. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that that was part of where my, my shock and disbelief came from when I first raised that tick and was confronted with a victim. Um, you know, and I tell the story and it sounds weird. I like, there wasn't a delay in removing that victim. It was literally a split second of realizing, holy smokes, like this guy is right inside the door here. But um, really drove home to me the importance of expecting victims and making sure that that guides your actions on the fire ground and your movements and um, just being deliberate in, in that sense. Fair to assume that that kind of that mantra of expecting fire, expecting victims kind of bleeds over into your training and kind of day-to-day -day stuff too before tones drop? Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, just from a, from a mental standpoint of, um, 
you know, just thinking about how that, how that plays out into everything else that we do. And again, I'm, I'm on the truck. I'm usually running a saw and throwing ladders, you know, not, not necessarily being one of the first ones in there who will be encountering a person, but even still with those OV duties, thinking about how that complements the, the guys that are in there initially that are going to potentially get their hands on somebody. And do you happen to know how this uh, victim fared after the fire? So we, we were able to get the victim out into the backyard and immediately uh, started rendering aid. Um, you know, we had the AD hooked up and we had O2 going and um, the, the victim was not, uh, it, it was pretty clear at that point that the victim had mainly just suffered from smoke inhalation. Um, there wasn't a lot of thermal injury present. Um, so you know, by, by all means, this was like in our eyes, very much a potentially viable victim that could potentially be revived. Um, unfortunately we were, we were not able to revive the victim. Um, I, I believe, uh, it was called on scene in the ambulance after they had taken over care and brought him into the ambulance. But, um, this, this was not one where the victim was able to walk away. How old was the victim? I want to say in his fifties. Okay. So I'm still remember. working. Obviously, he was working age if he worked at nights. Yep. Um, yep. Do we know how the fire started? It was in the bedroom, um, and I don't, I don't know whether or not the uh, the person was a smoker or not. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, signs would would point towards that. Um, but yeah, not not sure how that fire started. Well, right on. Well, I just want to say thank you for taking the time out to uh, share your experience with everybody. Uh, kudos to you. Kudos to the rest of the DFD. Uh, solid department there. Uh, you lucked out. Uh, or they lucked out. You lucked out. I guess it worked out well for everybody that you got a job there. So, so thank you for coming on here tonight. Anything else you want to pass on to everybody before we kind of sign off? No, just uh, hope everybody's keeping their wits during these crazy times. Keep your heads down and wear your masks and Try, uh, try to get outside as much as you can. Yeah, for those that, that uh, may be listening to this at a later date, right now it's uh, April 17th, 2020. So we're uh, like a month, month and a half into to COVID-19 and everything. So absolutely, thank you. Thank you again for your time, Dave. We really appreciate this. Yeah, thank um, you, Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, for anyone else out there that's listening, if you guys know of anyone who makes a grab, please go to firefighterrescuesurvey.com, fill out a quick survey. That's one survey per rescue. So if you make multiple rescues on the same scene, uh, we prefer if you do, uh, multiple surveys, one for each rescue. Um, and the whole goal of that is so we can all get smarter, better, and faster. Uh, if you make a grab and you want to share your experience with all of our listeners, please just reach out to your Grant Schwalbe, Justin McWilliams, or myself, uh, Nick Ladine, and we'll try to record an episode and, and spread the love to everybody else that's listening. Uh, thank you, Dave, and thank you to everybody else. We'll sign off. Cheers. Yeah, cheers, man. Take care.